sweet. So we're in John chapter 12, and I love this story. We're going to pick it up in 12.12 as we're making our way through uh, this gospel. And uh, let's just read the account of the triumphal entry before we start to dive into it. And so it says this in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went, went to meet him was that they had heard what he had done. Sorry, they... Uh, was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And what a great story. Eh? Don't you love Palm, the Palm Sunday story? Like this is, this is such a wonderful story and it's so important to the story of Jesus that the gospel writers, it's this, the triumphal entry is recounted in every one of the gospels. And uh, it takes place well, really, the transition we, we're making in John's gospel is this, is that uh, we're moving from the quiet little town of Bethany where there was a dinner held the night before in honor of Jesus at the home of uh, Simon the leper. Martha's there serving in the kitchen. We know Lazarus was reclining at table with Jesus, and uh, Mary was there, and she took that jar of ointment, that ointment and poured it over the head and feet of Jesus and let down her hair and wiped his uh, feet with her hair. And from Bethany, just where this had happened the night before, John tells us that these events happened the very next day uh, in Jerusalem. It was Sunday before Passover, Sunday the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Already thousands and thousands of pilgrims had come to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, Passover they were getting ready to enter into the week where they had got their little lamb for a sacrifice and that lamb would be with them for a number of days and they would inspect the lamb to see if it was a worthy sacrifice. And, and there was all this enthusiasm, not just around Passover, but there was enthusiasm as we see in this text around Jesus. I mean, people had heard the story of Lazarus. And, and as we've seen in John's gospel, like Lazarus was a key figure in this final week of Jesus because the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead after four days in a tomb had just been such an amazing miracle and so many people had witnessed it and watched as Jesus had called him forth from the grave that it was like, it couldn't be disputed. And so this story was just on the lips of everyone and going around and, 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 and not only that, you know, people had, Watch the ministry of Jesus for three years now. Many had, you know, a cousin's cousin saw Jesus at this time and he touched him. And, you know, there's all these sorts of uh, stories about the miracles that he had performed and the things that he had taught. And so as it's Passover's approaching, I, I would say this, as you read this, it's like messianic expectation is like at a mountaintop. It's like at an all-time high compared to where it's been in Jerusalem for for many, many years. And there were times during Jesus' ministry where crowds grabbed him, sought to grab him and tried to make him king by force and he just evaded their grip and disappeared and rejected the idea of, you know, being their picture of the Messiah, their political, you know, Messiah who was setting them free. But there was this deep sense as you read this text and as the gospel writers tell us that, that this time, wow, you know, there was this hope surrounding Jesus. And so verse uh, 12 again says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coal. So th this is like, this is an amazing picture, and I think it's important that we grasp it. It's like in your mind's eye, you know. Thousands of people lining the street uh, from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. They laid their cloaks on the road. They grabbed palm branches and turned them into uh, flags and they were waving them and they were singing Hosanna blessed is he chanting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and there was thousands and thousands and thousands of them lining the streets and Hosanna was this cry of salvation that was taken from Psalm 118 it's a psalm that's sung around the Passover uh, feast and festival and Hosanna means save us but it, there's an immediacy to it it means save us now Save us, save us now. Save us now, we pray, is the, is the heart of Hosanna, even as we sang it this morning. Hosanna, save us now. Save me now, Jesus. And every year for, for generations, we know this about the people of Israel. I mean, they had been waiting and hoping and expectation for the day when their Messiah would come. When they thought of those days, their heart hearken back to the days of the first Passover when the Lord had sent them a redeemer in Moses and Moses had led them out of slavery, out, of, out from under the thumb of the Egyptians and the oppressive hand of, of Pharaoh. And it seemed that right now Jesus was the one they had been waiting for and hoping for. And so the waving of palm branches and the singing of Psalm 18 actually uh, was a tradition that, that had begun just 200 years earlier, which is interesting. I mean, the psalm goes way back further. The, the messianic expectation goes back further, but the, the waving of the palm branches, this symbol of, of freedom, harkened back to the intertestamental period when uh, the Jews were oppressed by a Syrian Greek king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And I told you a little bit about Antiochus a few weeks ago. He was the Syrian Greek ruler who was such a blasphemous man that when he conquered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, went into the Holy of Holies and slaughtered a pig and he forced the priest to drink the blood of the pig. I mean, it's, he, he defiled the temple of God, a total blasphemous uh, ruler and he brutally ruled over the people of Israel until the Maccabean family was raised up and, and God used them to bring about a political revolt of, of freedom. And, and Judas Maccabee led this kind of, you know, guerrilla war that went on for nine years and eventually uh, Israel was victorious. And at that time when Judas Maccabee led this freedom, they, they grabbed these palm branches and they wave them and this became the tradition and part of the expectation the coming of the Messiah the palm branch was a symbol of freedom and from oppression from the enemy now, now why this matters is because 200 years later in Jesus day once again they're oppressed it's not a Syrian Greek king it's, it's Rome they're under the people of Israel are under the occupation of Rome Jerusalem is under the occupation of Rome and as Jesus rode into the city the crowds sang their hosannas and they waved their palm branches and they were saying this save us save us deliver us from Rome be our Judas Maccabee deliver us be our political redeemer and I just, I, I, the Romans didn't, you know they, didn't know, they don't know all the tradition and history and culture, and it must have been quite the scene. It's hard to comprehend, comprehend the expectation that was in the air and in the hearts of the people of, of Jerusalem. It's like a pop bottle. Boom, you know, you shake that thing up and let the lid go, and it was bursting. It was bursting from the seams, this expectation upon Jesus, and, you know, squarely put on this rabbi, from Galilee, the man who raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus of Nazareth, and they bestowed upon him the kingdom of Israel. They called him, the, Hosanna, save us now, even son of David, even the king of Israel, they called him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And the crazy thing when you read the Gospels is this, is that like a week, you know, within a week, within a few days, they're singing another song. Crucify him. Crucify him. And though they bestow on him on Sunday the kingdom of Israel, by Friday they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. And so Palm Sunday, those palm branches made instant flags and the the crowd went out to meet him as he rode into Jerusalem singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the tragedy of the whole triumphal entry is that the crowd misunderstood Jesus. They they misunderstood. They, they They missed the message. And he had a message. Like when he's riding in on that donkey, Jesus has a message. But the thing is this, it's like the whole situation didn't provide him the opportunity to stand and speak like I'm speaking to you this morning. The crowd is like the fervor, the craziness. It's like trying to address a a crowd at a sporting event. It's like, whatever. You know, people just ignore it because you're here to see the event. And people were there to see the event. And they missed the message that Jesus had for them. It was impossible for him to speak. And so Jesus did this. He gave an object lesson. He grabbed a donkey and he mounted a donkey. And and if he couldn't speak to them with his voice because of this great crowd, at least he could speak to them with the picture of what he was doing. They, They should see with their eyes and recognize what this Jesus was was all about. And so amidst the waving of the palm branches and the cries of Hosanna, what goes unnoticed? The foal of the donkey. The donkey. They missed the message. They got it wrong. They're they're so focused on the one riding on the donkey that they missed the donkey. And I'll tell you this about the Palm Sunday story. If you miss the donkey, you miss the whole story. The donkey? You miss the whole story if you miss the donkey. Because Jesus was using that foal of a donkey to teach this crowd what his mission was all about. And it was because they missed the message of the donkey that they were left wanting. Why, why they wanted to sing crucify him later. They, they missed the message of the donkey so they said we have no king but Caesar. And you know, I think about this crowd, they were, they were for Jesus. They were for him. They welcomed him. They welcomed him to, to Jerusalem with Hosanna and palm branches, and they said, Jesus, we want you to free us. Jesus, we want you to, to bring us peace. We want you to free us from those who rule over us so that we will have peace. And you know, I I think about that. I think our world is crying the same thing all the time today. The message has never changed. The world cries the same thing. They cried out that day. They, they, They said this, Jesus, if you would just free us from our oppressors, then we'll be free. Jesus, just free us from our oppressors. We say things like this, I empty the swamp. We could just empty the swamp. We'd be free. We'd have peace. If we could just get rid of Trudeau. <laughs> if we could just stop Harper. St- if we could stop Harper. If we could impeach Trump. If it wasn't for Obamacare. Like, come on. That's on both sides of the fence. If it wasn't just for that ruler. If the left didn't own the media. You know, if the right actually cared about Whatever. Whatever. It's the same old story and the same old broken record that the world has sung for thousands of generations. If we could be free from them, then we'd be really free and we'd have peace. But Jesus, I love this, doesn't arrive with a motorcade and a military escort. No horse like a victorious general, Roman general. Air Force One doesn't come in, land down. Doesn't roll up in the Pope mobile. Imagine that, eh? They didn't have that yet. Peter hadn't traded in his fishing boat. (laughs) He comes on a donkey. And it's like, don't miss the donkey. Hundreds of years earlier, Zechariah had prophesied, see your king comes to you meek, lowly, 
and he's riding on a donkey. And he came on a, a, a donkey on the full of a, of a donkey because it was correct and it was true. Jesus came to bring peace. He did. He came to bring peace, but, but Jesus is not a political rebel. He is not a political revolutionary because he does not believe that peace comes from being set free from others. Peace doesn't come from being set free from others. How does peace come? How does real peace come and from where does real peace come and real peace come? It comes from Jesus and to have real peace is to be set free from yourself. To be set free from sin's control. That's real freedom. And everybody says this, like the world is saying it, like, and it's getting louder and louder to me. So we want to be free. If only I could be free of them, then I would be free. And Jesus says, I come to set you free from yourself. And when we look to Jesus, we, we find a peace, like, man, for those of you who follow Jesus, you know this. When you look to Jesus in your life, you find a peace that cannot be explained. Your mind doesn't understand it and your heart can't explain it, but it's deep in your heart and your soul and Jesus brings rest. He sets you free. And you learn that you can wait in the presence of God and be still and know that he is God. Oh, the world's out of control. But God's on the throne. There can be joy in the middle of your pain and there can be peace that you can't explain and there's love that you, from him that you, you can't escape and, and like the psalmist says, the mountains can fall into the sea. But when Jesus is ruling here, you won't be moved. You can't be moved. It's like an anchor that's just deep, deep, deep and he's good. And the message of the triumphal entry is this. Don't, don't miss the donkey. One great preacher said this. He said, it's one thing to shout at a parade. You see those all over the world. One thing to shout at a parade. It's another thing to stand at the foot of the cross. I want to be found at the foot of the cross, don't you? I want to stand at the foot of the cross. In this crowd, they missed the donkey. Even the disciples. The, John tells us, even the disciples missed. Jesus sent them, fetch the beast. Go tell his master when he asks you the, the master needs it and he'll let it go. And they too, even though they'd gone about all these actions for Jesus, they missed the message. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They brought him the donkey, they went and got the donkey, and they didn't get what Jesus was preaching. But it says this, after Jesus was glorified, they remembered. That's after the resurrection. Once they understood the resurrection, everything else became clear for them. Every time Jesus appeared to them after he'd been raised from the dead, he had the same greeting. Do you know what it was? Shalom. Peace. Whoa. Peace. Harmony, harmony with others, harmony with yourself, harmony with God, health to you, salvation to you, victory, shalom. After Jesus was raised from the dead, they, they realized that Jesus had come to bring a peace that the world cannot give. It can't give it. Peace, you're with me now. It's the voice of Jesus. Peace, you don't need to fear. Comfort to you, fear not, for I am with you. And it, it's, it's a peace that sets you free from yourself. Ain't glad for Jesus to be hidden in his tent, to find shelter in his wing, to have, have, have him hide you in his shelter, to abide in him, the vine. 
That's where there's real peace. And it was right there for everyone to see, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. The Messiah was riding a donkey. He had come as a peaceful king. But it meant nothing to his disciples that day. They didn't understand until he was glorified. That's interesting. There's a lot of things that you don't understand. Don't, don't you agree? Like, there's so many things I don't understand. But lots of times when I see Jesus get glorified, then revelation and understanding comes later. Like, sometimes you read the Bible. Isn't the Bible? The Bible's like a crazy book. It's full of all sorts of stuff I don't understand. I mean, I love it. I love it. Because it leads me to Jesus, but it's full of things that I don't understand. But I would say to you this. Keep reading, keep in the word because as Jesus is glorified in your life, what he does is this, is he brings greater and greater understanding. Typically, our, our problem is, is this, is that we say, well, I want to understand and then I'll obey and then you can be glorified. And often that's not the pattern God has for us. You obey me. We're going to see this in this text. You do what I say. You seek to glorify me. And the lesson Often the understanding comes later. You know, our world is like, so much of the New Testament is written to combat the Gnosticism of the first century and, and Gnostics were all about the information, knowledge that they could collect and our culture is just like a new age version of that. We collect all this knowledge, esoteric knowledge, but we don't think this. Well, I can collect knowledge, but I don't need to obey. But it's when we obey Jesus that he's glorified through our obedience and, and often we come to understand what, what he was commanding. It's like, okay, master, I'm your servant. I don't understand, but you said do it. You said fill the water jars. That's stupid. We have no wine. Why would I fill jars with water? Okay, you're the master. I go fill the jars, poof understanding. Jesus is glorified, and I'm like, wow, he's amazing. Roll the stone away? Why would I roll the stone away, Jesus? He's been dead for four days. There's a smell. If you, you hadn't thought about it, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come out. And so often in following Jesus, we want all the information up front. He says, no, you trust me. I'm a good king. Do as I say. Let me be glorified and you'll understand. You know, Paul, it's interesting in Philemon verse six, he said this. He actually said this, that if he, he prayed that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith and he said this, because if you're active in sharing your faith, you'll understand every good thing that you have in Christ. In other words, there was an act of obedience that had to happen so that you could understand everything you have in Christ. And, and, and I'll never understand everything I have in Christ unless I'm active in the work of witnessing and evangelism. And the disciples, they didn't understand, but when Jesus was glorified, they got it. Oh, of course, why didn't we see that hindsight? And the principle's always true. Look at, glorify Jesus. Glorify him. Glorify the Father. Jesus, do what he says by his spirit and in his word. Obey him. He'll honor himself. So look at verse 17. It says this. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised them from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, that, you see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the whole world, the world has gone after him. So there's the crowd singing their hosannas. Those who witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead are recounting to those around them. They're witnessing to the work of Jesus, all they had seen and heard and and then there were others in the crowd and, and they were filled with envy. And they're saying, man, we failed. We failed. The whole world's gone after him. 
And then verse 20, we read this. Now among those who went up to, to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Andrew's a cool guy because Andrew's always, every time you see him in the scripture, he's bringing someone to Jesus. So he brings Philip to Jesus. And what John tells us is that there were Greeks who were, who were seeking Jesus. It's, it's interesting. It's at his death. At his birth, there was wise men from the east. As his death is approaching, it's, it's Gentile Greeks, wise men from the west. We want to see Jesus. And they made their request to Philip. Philip tells Andrew, and the two of them go to Jesus. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now I read that and I go, what a strange answer. <laughs> hey, Jesus, there's some people that want to see you. And then he says, this, this answer seemingly to the 12, not to the Greeks whatsoever, about grain falling to, into the earth and, and dying and bearing much fruit and saying, if you, if you love your life, you'll lose it, but if you hate your life in this world, you'll, you'll gain eternal life. And then he talks about proximity of servants to their master. He says, where I am, my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Like it's a strange, it's a strange answer to the request. We want to see Jesus. And here are the, these folks, they, they came to Philip and made the request that they wanted to see Jesus. And I, I kind of wonder when I read this, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure if they were requesting that they come to see Jesus or if they're inviting Jesus to come and see them. And I actually have a feeling, I was trying to get a grasp on this in the text, I actually have a feeling they were inviting Jesus to come and see them. Come talk to us, you know. We're hunkered down in here, Jerusalem, for Passover. Come, come and visit us. And they pass on the invitation through Philip, and maybe that's why Philip went to Andrew. He's like, I, these guys are like inviting Jesus to come and talk to him. And, and it's almost like Jesus gives this answer. Go and tell them, I'm not coming with you. You come with me. I'm not coming with you. You come with me. He says this. You come with me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants, my servant will be also. Pe people wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus is always waiting for people. Look, at lots of people want to see Jesus. Jesus is waiting for people who will say this. Jesus, I want to serve you. <laughs> Jesus, I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of serving you. Jesus, I want to be close to you. Jesus, wherever you lead, I will follow. Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. And this is what Jesus actually tells his disciples. He says this, look, Look, if you really want me, then you have to stay with me. Because you're useless unless you're where I am. If you, if you want to serve me, then stay with me. Follow me. I need a servant who will stay right where I am so I can say, roll back the stone from the grave. I need a servant who will be right with me so I can say, fill the jars with water. And it seems that there was something self-serving to me in this request from the, the Greeks to see Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you come with me. You come serve me. That's, that's how it has to be. And, th and this, look, at this is one of the essentials of following Jesus right here. There has to be a surrender of self. We were, we were you know, week of prayer this week, we've had a sweet week. 
my back went out again because that's what happens in the week of prayer. <laughs> Bent over in half, and there's like warfare happening. I'm like, what is going on? Oh, right, it's week of prayer. And uh, it was good, but this week we were talking, having some discussions about essentials of following Jesus. And we were talking about this all week, you know. Um, uh, back at spring break, Eli and I went to Kenya and got to do some mission stuff. And we visited Nairobi and saw the place. We only just drove past it, but uh, saw the place where the Kenyan f flag flies. And they have a monument there. Because that's the spot in 1968 where they took down the flag of the British Empire and they raised the flag of Kenya. And it's like this wonderful place for their nation where they celebrate their, their independence. And look, one of the essentials of following Jesus is this, is that my flag has to come down. Whatever palm branch I stuck up in there, air, it's got to come down. And the flag that has to go up in my life is this, is the flag of Jesus. I surrender to his rule. I surrender to his sovereignty. I surrender to his lordship, his kingship. And this is one of the essentials of following Jesus, death to self. Says, Listen, Colonel Grant goes in the ground and dies, it won't produce. And death to self to be obedient to Jesus, to the glory of God. And Jesus, again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a, 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 kernel of grain, a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the application, the reality is this, is that fruitfulness comes through death to yourself. You gain by losing your life when you lose your life for Jesus. You know, lots of times I'm like, lose my life, I don't know what that means. You know, if you're wondering what that means, I would tell you this, just stick close to Jesus. Just like whatever you do, never forget this, stick close to Jesus. He says, my servant has to be where I am. Stick close to him. I think this, as I, was think, as I was thinking about this text, I'm like, be a donkey. <laughs> be a donkey. I'm like happy to be a donkey for Jesus, aren't you? I'm like, if that's my spot in a kingdom and it means I can be close to him, then let's be donkeys. And in my mind, that means be available. Do what he asks so that he might be glorified. You know, I read a story of some Christians who uh, were, were visiting some missionaries who had planted themselves in a, in a remote area. And so that this, these friends came to visit them and see what was going on and check in on them. And as they, they watched them, you know, dedicated in their missionary work, they were like encouraged and blessed but they said, wow, this place is like far out. I'd struggle to be this far from what civilization for me. And one of the visitors said to the missionary, you've certainly like buried yourself out here. And the missionary said, we haven't buried ourselves. We've been planted. We've been planted. And, and you know, the message of what Jesus is saying, be planted for me, be, plant, be a donkey. Be available for my use. Stick close to me. Lose yourself, you'll gain everything. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, you know, when, you, when I think about Jesus, it's like, it's hard to grasp him, right? We think, okay, fully God, fully man. The God-man, his deity, his humanity, where they mix, how they blend, how it all works. Like, man, it's, so, it's mysterious. 
But here, when I read this, I'm like, wow, this is a real picture of his humanity. He knew the cross was in his future. Death was a reality for him. He knew what was lay ahead of him. And he said, my soul's troubled. He knew a cross was in his future. And it wasn't a game for him. It was like, this isn't charades. He didn't, you know, think about Jesus as a human being. He doesn't, he doesn't want to die in the sense of experiencing the pain of death and everything that goes with it. And he says, my soul is troubled. Now, I, I want to encourage you. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus could communicate to us that he had trouble in his own soul. You ever have a troubled soul? <sighs> Anxiety, depression, something on your heart. Jesus, we read here, that his soul was troubled and he wasn't afraid to vocalize it. He said it in front of his friends and those who were following him. And in just a few chapters, when we get to John chapter 14, he's going to tell the 12, he's going to say, don't let your heart be troubled. But here he admits, my heart's, my heart's troubled. And, and I like that about Jesus, that, that he's honest and that we can be the same with him. Lord, they say, Lord, my heart's troubled. I got this going on. I don't know what to do. Help me, Lord. And, and then you wait for him to come and, and to reassure you and say, don't let your heart be troubled. And it's amazing that Jesus would bring peace to others, but at this moment here in this text, his own heart was troubled. So verse 27 again, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, a couple of things strike me about this. First one is what Jesus says. He says, what should I say? My soul's troubled, so what should I say? You know what I think we often do? We go this, my soul's troubled, what should I do? And we look for like an action to take. Jesus said, my soul's troubled, what shall I say? Uh, he knew what he should do. He already knew what he was supposed to do. He knew the mission. The mission was the cross. So it's not what should I do. It's what shall I say to deal with the trouble in my soul. And he said, should I say, Father, save me from this. Father, save me from this hour. Or, you know, is it Father, glorify your name. But just interesting, both answers begin with Father. Father, save me. Father, glorify your name. The first thing on his lips when his soul is troubled is to vocalize it and then to say, Father, Father. And should he say, Father, I'm willing to do anything but the, Jesus? Father, I'm willing to do anything but the cross. That's the one we always do to the Lord, right? We're like, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do anything but... <laughs> And you fill in the blank. Father, I'm willing to do anything but this. I, and I imagine Satan was right there tempting him. Right there. Just tell the Father you're willing to do this, Jesus, but not the cross. You're willing to do anything, but not the cross. Jesus knew the cross was in his, in his future, and then this was a, you know, an intersection, a crossroad from his, his troubled heart and, and for his troubled heart, and all of us reach the same place at some point in time with Jesus, and the deciding factor will, is this. It's like, will, will I choose my safety and my security and my happiness and my comfort or what I think is all of those things, or will I choose the glory of God? And I love that Jesus says this, Father, glorify your name. He doesn't say, Hosanna. <laughs> I like that in this text. He doesn't say, Hosanna. Father, Hosanna, save me now. He says, Father, be glorified. Glorify your name. That's the prayer Jesus prayed. And, and I think, you know, I would encourage you, make that the first thing on your lips all the time. It's like, wow, I always want my safety, my security, my health. God's got things he wants to do. And the Father answered, Father, glorify your name. And the Father answered, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd that stood there heard it. They said it had thundered. Others said, others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. You know, when someone says, Father, glorify your name, I think the Father gives this response every time. We just maybe don't hear it. I have glorified it, and I'll do it again. God's concerned about the glory of his name, and it's awesome that it was an audible voice from heaven. Just like at Jesus' baptism, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Just like at his transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. And now just before the, the week of the cross, I have, Father, glorify him, I have glorified it, and I'll do it again. And it's amazing that some heard the voice and others said it sounded like thunder. People always have that response to the Lord's voice. For some, they're like, I hear it. Others are like, what's that noise? What's that noise? They heard the sound, but they didn't know the, the message that was conveyed. It should have convinced them that Jesus was in touch with the Father. And Jesus said, this is for your sake. It's not for mine. Father, glorify your name. Jesus was, was facing up to his death. And then verse 31, we read this. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now do this. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Whoa. What's going on here? And Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When Jesus speaks of being lifted up, everyone knew it was common language. He was speaking of being crucified. They knew it immediately. You know, when we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and what, what people saw on the level of the surface level, we know that everybody had it wrong, that there was so much going on at the cross that, that pretty much the opposite of what looked like was happening on face value, at face value was, was happening. It looked like Jesus was on trial. It looked like Pilate sat as the judge. It looked like, like Jesus was done for, but in fact, the world, Jesus says, the world, now is the time for the world to be judged. Everything that appeared to be happening wasn't happening. The opposite was happening. Jesus wasn't on trial. The world was being judged. You and I were judged at the cross. I was judged there for my sin and rebellion against the Lord. It was nailed to the tree with my Savior. It looked like Jesus was being overthrown by the devil, the ruler of this world. It looked like he won. He got the victory, but it wasn't the devil who won. It was him. It was the devil who was being overthrown. Now Jesus says the ruler of this world will be cast out. Cross is not tragedy. It's triumph. Satan's power is broken at the cross. That's why, you know, he, he roams to and fro, but man, the scripture tells us the day comes when we see him, we'll be shocked. We go, that's it. That's the guy that cost me all this. I mean, all he can do is lie, kill. All, all he can do is lie and steal and seek to kill us. But he's been cast out. He roams to and fro, but he's got no authority. He's got no, no power. The, the enemy has been defeated. And we can claim victory in Christ Jesus. You know, at the cross, it looked like, like Jesus was totally abandoned. You read the story, and it's like the 12 freak out they're gone Judas is long gone already John's only there because he's like looking after I mean everyone departs from him everyone leaves him he's every follower abandons him he's left alone even the father forsook him looks like he's completely abandoned at the cross but Jesus said this when I'm lifted up 
I'll draw all men to myself. Wow, he's abandoned. No. He, he, he was on a surface level. But the cross is being used to draw all men to Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross has resulted in this, that every, in every nation in the world, there are people following and serving and living for King Jesus. They've come to know him through, through his death. Verse 33 says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And verse 34, so the crowd answered him. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? They got it. They got the picture of the crucifixion. So they've, they've got this battle going on. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Messiah live forever? How can you say you're going to be lifted up? How can, how can you do that? Who is this son of man? Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Interesting, their question's this. Wait a minute, Jesus. Why are you talking about being lifted up? Isn't the Messiah supposed to live forever? How can you be lifted up, crucified at the same time? That, that doesn't, how does that fit? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. They've got like this intellectual, theological problem that they can't quite solve. How can the Christ both remain forever and be lifted up? And how can both be true? And Jesus seems to just ignore the question. He doesn't answer it. And instead, Jesus points out to them that they were missing the obvious practical implication of the things that he was saying. It was right in front of them. He says, while the light shines, live in it. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Take advantage of the light. Because otherwise you'll be overtaken by darkness. You know, when you think about Genesis, like back Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And Genesis tells us that darkness was hovering over the face of the, of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, sorry. And, and God said this, he said, let there be light. Let there be light. And humanity's natural state is this, it's darkness because of sin, because of death. We uh, close the curtains. If they just, this room is very black if the lights are not on in here. Because that's what a room does. It just, if you don't have light on, its natural state is Darkness. And so a light has to be turned on. And, and Jesus was warning this crowd. They asked this question. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The light's only going to be on for a brief time. It's on. The light's on. You should take advantage of it. He's warning them. I'm not, I'm not going to be with you much longer. Remember when they, when they nailed him to the cross? Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, that when Jesus died, the sun went out. That's crazy. Like the sun shines today because Jesus is alive. I don't know if you know that. You can march or you can do whatever you want. And believe me, I believe in being responsible. But the sun and the universe is held in its place because Jesus holds it there. Not for any other reason. And should he let go? And the day that Jesus died, the scripture tells us he's upholding all things by the power of his word. And the day that he died, what happened? The sun went out. And like people try to explain it. They go, oh yeah, it was like an eclipse. It was three hours. I remember we had the, that eclipse there a few years ago. We were standing down in the marina trying to watch it all. It was like over like that. Three hours. The sun. Total darkness on the face of the earth because the light went out. 
because the light of the world had been extinguished by evil men. They were living in spiritual darkness. What was, what was true spiritually became true physically. The light of the world went out and the sun went out. And Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world, and if you don't come to him, you remain, in, you remain in darkness. That's what the lesson is here. It's like you remain in spiritual, moral darkness if you don't come to Jesus. And the most awful thing, like you think about, you know Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures, and you know the awful thing that he talks about hell, he says this, he calls it outer darkness. Outer darkness. In other words, there's no light because it's a place void of the presence of God. Totally void of his presence whereas heaven is so full of light the scripture tells us there's no sun there. There's actually no physical sun because God is present and there's no need for the sun because there's light. Where Jesus is, there's light. And where he's not, there is no light. So this crowd questions him. And he says this, look, the light's shining. The light is shining. Seize it. Live in it. Believe in it. Believe in me before darkness overtakes you and there'll be no coming back. That's the that's warning here. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of light. You read this and the tragedy is that verse 36 ends with a break. If you look at your Bible, chapter 12, there's a, it's probably got a subtitle and it says there, the unbelief of the people. The, the verse never ended. Verse 30, they, they break it up. I hate it when they do this. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Whoa. It's like right away he gives it a lesson. The light will not always, the opportunity will not always be in front of you. And those who divide up our Bible and organize it for us, put that subtitle in there. They call it the unbelief of the people. They didn't, we're going to see this next week as we jump back into this text, that that was the tragedy of the whole thing, the unbelieving hearts of men and women. We've got to guard our hearts to not respond to Jesus with a heart of unbelief. He's the master. The servant needs to be where his master is. The servant needs to be in the light and be a son of the light because Jesus is the light of the world. Be a donkey. <laughs> Let's pray. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come.